this April, I had one of those weeks, you know, where everything just kind of seems to go wrong. We had made a very quick decision to move, which often happens here in New York, right? All of a sudden, you know, it's like, you're like, are we going to move? Are we not? Yes, we are going to move. And it happens really fast, which is a big deal for us because there are eight of us in our family. So moving is no small task. And we needed to move on a Tuesday, and it happened to be the Tuesday of Holy Week, which I don't know for you what is the busiest time in your job. If maybe you're someone who's working with the UN, it was just everything that happened with General Assembly. Maybe if you work in the ER, I've heard anytime there's a full moon, it just is bonkers, right? A school teacher at the beginning of the year. Well, for someone in my role, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, got a few things going on, okay? It's just a little bit busy. And this week, when we were moving on that Tuesday after Palm Sunday, see, my husband, bless his heart, happened to be out of town the whole week prior to that Tuesday. And so I got the delightful responsibility, if you can sense my sarcasm, of packing up the entire house. So I'm, I'm tired, right? I'm a little bit stressed, and sure enough, Tuesday morning, as we are asleep on the floor, because, you know, everything has to be packed up to move out that day, what am I awakened by? A child throwing up. Bless their heart. So that's how how the move begins, is with a kid being sick. We get there, right? We get into our new apartment, but I don't know if you remember Easter weekend this last year. What happened on Saturday? massive downpours, right? Massive, massive downpours, which wouldn't be a big deal, except that this fabulous church here, we decided to host the island-wide Easter egg hunt on that Saturday, which means that we have 10,000 candy-filled eggs that we really need to get rid of. You know, it's not a whole lot of fun to do an egg hunt after the Easter bunny comes. And so we're a little stressed about trying to figure out how are we going to get rid of all of these things. And the good news was, good Friday morning, Verizon was going to come and at least give us internet, right? So we were going to have internet, okay? So we're, we're exhausted, we're in boxes, we're all out of sorts, but Verizon is coming for internet. And so I'm standing at our table, and I'm unpacking some kind of box, good Friday morning, and the doorbell rings, and... Our dog, which is another poor decision that I have made in life, the fact that we even have a dog, I don't know what we were thinking. Um, Anyway, she comes, of course, doorbell rings, she starts barking and goes flying, and I immediately, to try and like train her to stop barking at the door, I spin and turn to grab her, not realizing that directly behind me is a box on a chair. And so I turn around with as much force as I can, and I get punched in the face by the corner of the box, like right here. And I don't know, I don't think I've ever been punched in the face, but that box reached up and punched me in the face. I immediately hit the deck. There is blood everywhere, right? And I'm like, I'm so, I, have you been punched in the face? You know, you're disoriented. I don't know what has just happened and who has hit me. And so then I'm crawling into the kitchen trying to find something because I'm bleeding. Dan comes in, my husband, and he's standing over me as the Verizon guy comes in and he just looks at the guy and he's like, something happened. I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, this doesn't look good for you right now, buddy. So 
I finally find some towels and some ice, and I go to my room, and I sit down on the ground, and I just lose it. I mean, I'm just, I'm so tired. I'm sobbing. There's snot. There's blood. I mean, it's just a mess, you know. And I hide down there for a, for a few hours. My kids are sheepishly like, is it okay to come? I'm like, no, get away. I can't deal with anyone right now. And all I could think, there's this song that we were going to sing that night. Um, for the Good Friday service, sorrow and love flow mingled down, and all I could think is sorrow and blood flow mingled down. It was... Anyway, it was one of those weeks, right? Isn't it frustrating that in the midst of circumstances that are less than ideal, less than perfect, less than what we had planned, we often find ourselves not as our best selves, but really kind of a mess. We dissolve into a mess on the floor. And here in this passage that, um, that Tibor has just read, that Paul has written to the Ephesians, see, Paul has just gone on this rant, right, about all of the good news of the gospel, all these things that we believe that God has invited us into a new family, that, that because of our understanding of our worth in him, we get to live out our vocation with meaning and purpose, that there's a new humanity that is created that tears down the dividing walls of hostility. And then he throws this in. I, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. How is it that Paul is in this kind of circumstance and he's able to be thinking about other people? I get hit in the face by a cardboard box and I'm like, I can't with anyone. And here it is, Paul is in prison and he is able to have this kind of perspective where he says, don't lose heart, even though I'm in the worst possible circumstance, I'm in prison. How is it that he can be really his best self in the worst moment? As a church, what would it look like for us to be able to have that? And I joke about some silly week when really everything turned out all right, but the reality is I know what so many of you are walking through. Your jobs are unstable, Cancer is back. The disease is not going the way that you had been told it would. Your bank accounts are tight. Conflict is coming from every side. Is there any possible way for us to keep our wits about us? For us to be able to actually consider someone else when we are being pressed and crushed from every side? instead of dissolving into a mess on the floor. I think Paul recognizes that it's not normal for someone to be in the state that he's in. I think it's why he stops to address it. He says, says, you know, don't worry about me. I don't want you to lose heart. It's for the benefit of you Gentiles that I am in prison. Please don't lose heart because of my chains. He knows that the tendency is for us to become the worst version of ourselves and to be so focused on our circumstances when difficult things happen, but somehow he's not. And what he gives us in in verses 2 through 12, he gives us this information that I believe if we can truly understand it, gives us a perspective shift deep enough to be able to wade through all the mess of our life in a way that Paul does. And for me, that's what I want. Because as 
I get older every year. I'm realizing more and more that the hardships of life, the things that I thought maybe just happened to that person or in that time or in that season, they're not slowing down. They're not coming any less. More and more, the life that I thought would happen, I'm realizing I don't think it's going to look the way that I had planned. And so we've got to figure out, well, how is it in the midst of our disappointments, in the midst of our being crushed, how is it that we can persevere? And so Paul in verse 3 says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul is saying, what I have here right now, guys, this is new. This is new news. We didn't know this before. There are old systems and old ways that we used to operate that are done, that are gone. I have new information that changes everything. And as he gets to proclaim these truths to the world, he says, church, you're going to be able to do this too. And so what are these things that are old, that are done with, that we need to get rid of in our life? What are our understandings that we need to get rid of and are done so we can start living into this truth that Paul is proclaiming? There are two systems of salvation. There are two ways that we go about securing our own salvation. When I say salvation, I mean not only just what happens after we die, but the being okay now, the being saved from the here and now, the being able to live out here and now how God created us to live. There are two old systems that are crushed and gone. The first is salvation through our work. Up until this time... In the Jewish culture, it was understood that the Jewish God, only if you were Jewish did you have access to him. But because they continued to sin and pull away from God, the only way they could get back into his presence, back into his good graces, was what? Sacrifice. Ritual sacrifice. Over and over and over again. And often they would be bringing their sacrifices to God, not out of this great love and adoration for God, but really in the same way that pagans would bring their sacrifices before a pagan God to appease the anger of the God. They would sacrifice something else for their own benefit over and over and over again. If they'd done something wrong and wanted to be right, they killed an animal. If they wanted a special blessing, they killed an animal. Think about the priests who were slaughtering animals. It's a very different, thankfully, job description than I have now. Butchering lambs and goats is physically exhausting and it's a mess. It wasn't a simple process. It was intense and complicated, expensive. In order to come to God, to be in right standing with him, they would sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and work and work and work. Psalm 51, it's already hinting at that this isn't necessarily what God has in mind The psalmist says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The reality is that what Paul has discovered is that this system of salvation through our work is done. It has been annihilated. In Christ, it is broken and over. Instead of us recognizing our sin and shedding the blood of an innocent animal for our own behalf to get back into the grace of God, God puts on skin and sacrifices himself for the sake of others. 
And then Paul says in verse 12, because of, our, of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently come into God's presence with boldness and confidence. If you were here on Friday night, we had a worship gathering where we spent time and extended song and prayer. And it was a great night. And my husband, Dan, was sharing some thoughts and our almost four-year-old son, Judah, was getting a little past his bedtime. And he kept making his way up to Dan's leg, right? And by the end of the night, when it was clearly past his bedtime, even as Dan is in front and he's, he's leading people, Judah has made his way up onto his shoulder with his head rested on his shoulder. And I thought, what a picture of boldness and confidence to go, that's my father. I have access to him. And in the same way, we have that kind of access to the father. No more sacrifices, We can enter the presence of God with boldness and confidence. God does not desire for the Jewish people to try to secure their own righteousness. He instead lays down his life in pursuit of his people. And here's the deal. I know that there's so many of us here. You're like, yeah, 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 I get that. I've heard that. If you've come to this church particularly, we talk about this all the time. We say this all the time. But there's a difference between having a head knowledge and it's sinking deep into your skin and into your bones and into your life. The reality is the story that's the best story isn't necessarily the one that we're defined by. It's the one that we are hearing the most often, right? And what is it you're bombarded with all day long, every day? You are as good as your job. You are as good as your paycheck. You are as good as how many likes you got on that post and how many comments. You are as good as that relationship. You are as good as your bank account. And you work and you work and you work. The other day I was sitting and we were having a discussion in one of our midweek groups about this kind of grace that God offers us. And there was a couple who was coming from a communist background and they're sitting there going, No, I don't get it. It's not fair. It's not fair. I'm like, yes, it's not fair. You are completely right. It's not fair. God, he's not waiting for us to get it together. And it was so interesting because they were so just scandalized and almost disgusted by this idea of how much God could love us And I think for so many of us in the church, it's like we need to be brought back to that to remember how scandalous this is. He loves us in this way. And we talk about how the system of sacrifice has passed. But again, for so many of us, this is how we still operate. We feel, oh, maybe I haven't been very good. I feel distant from God. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go to church which is a good thing to do. We need to be doing that. But we do it with a sense of, okay, well, have I, have I volunteered enough? Have I done my community service thing? Have I been a good citizen? Not really sure enough if it's good enough. Or potentially you're comparing yourselves to other people and you're going, well, at least I'm better than that person. I mean, when I show up, I actually do something. So they just come and eat the food. I know who you are. But ultimately, that type of mindset is just as exhausting as slaughtering animals over and over and over again, and it gets us nowhere. God makes it clear. He says, this system of salvation through work is done. It's done. It's completely done. So that's the first thing that we need to understand and get into our gut. And then the second system that Paul is explaining is dismantled through Christ is salvation through assimilation. 
of becoming someone else. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. If you don't know what the word Gentiles means, it means everybody who's not Jewish. This isn't both Jews and Gentiles who become like Jews or who become Jews. No, it's Jews and Gentiles. Fact is, Gentiles don't need to become Jews anymore is a massive, massive deal. In addition to the, the system of sacrifice that the Jews were under, what was the other way? Anybody know that Jews or that Gentiles would show that they were now Jewish? Circumcision. I can't speak fully to that. Thank you. But it seems like a massive barrier in coming to God to have to cut off your flesh. According to everything before that Jewish people had communicated to the Gentiles, it was, you were no one. You, you have to become like us. And yet God in Christ, he turns all of that on its head. He said, no, it's not. And you're becoming like this other culture that you are accepted by me. You're accepted by me and I will show you that as I become like you. So again, God puts on flesh and blood. And this is, this is groundbreaking for Paul. Even Jesus' close friends, his, his disciples, Peter, they thought that in order for a Gentile to be saved, they still needed to follow all of the Jewish rules. But God reveals to Paul that this is also wrong thinking. So many of us have thought that in order to be a good Christian, in order to make this jump, we need to assimilate into the dominant Christian culture, whatever it is, wherever you find it. You need to vote a certain way in an election or listen to a certain type of music, which isn't true. The central faith in Jesus is what is truth. Our customs and cultures don't necessarily need to conform. That's not what brings salvation. Our assimilation, our becoming like someone else, isn't what brings salvation. It's done. This is good news. Some of you think, well, I grew up in this type of a home. I grew up in a, in a Jewish family. Do I need to abandon my family's traditions to be a Christian? No. Will Jesus ask you to change some things throughout your life? For sure. But the only thing that is central is Jesus. And I think for so many of us, when we think about this faith that we have found, we think about our friends who are coming from different cultures, and we think... I can't talk to them about this because it's a complete abandonment of everything that they've known. And it's placing one culture over another. It's like, could you, as a Christian, could you go into a mosque and pray to Jesus? Could you? For some of you who think who have the viewpoint that Protestants and Catholics are so different, could you go to Mass? Could you come here? What are the things in culture that you've been thinking, oh, I must become like this in order to be saved? Really, God's not asking that necessarily of you. Salvation through work is done. Salvation through assimilation is done. The reason is because Jesus, Jesus does all of that for us. God assimilates into humanity 
and then does the work for us. He takes on flesh and blood. He becomes like us to get through to us. And then he submits himself to our brokenness, to the messed up systems, and he dies and defeats death by raising from the dead. He sets up an entirely new operating system, sacrificing himself for our behalf. And this is what we essentially see Paul doing. He's sacrificing himself for the sake of others. Instead of us working for our own salvation and sacrificing other things for our sake, Paul shows us that because of Jesus, we now step into a place where even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of being crushed, we can be thinking about other people for the benefit of other people. So God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. This means that we as a church can pursue those who are unlike us and step into spaces that are countercultural, that are scary, that are uncomfortable, because as we understand the depths of love that have been displayed on our behalf, we can do that. This is how Paul has the perspective that he has, how he can be the best version of himself, how he can still have his wits about him, even in a terrible situation, because he understands the radical way that he has been pursued, that our creator would become like us instead of demanding that we be like him, that he would sacrifice himself instead of destroy us, that he would not only forgive our denial of him, but in his grace call us children and give us same inheritance he gives Jesus. That he defeats death by raising from the dead. When we truly understand this and it sinks in deep for us, we can start walking through our life and the difficulties around us in very, very different ways. How does this look? I've told you guys, man, get into a community group. Because really, I love it when we gather like this and we get to talk and we get to sing, we get to celebrate together. But the real hard work often is done in small places and in small conversations. And this last week, I got to, I was, I've sat and thought about it for days now. I got to watch and witness how people who come from very different perspectives can sit in a room with people who oppose them, and culture would say you have nothing to do with each other, and extend love and grace. We had a conversation this Wednesday night. I mean, if you, if you have been paying attention at all to anything that's been happening this week in the news, the internet was rocked by the hug that happened following the sentencing of the police officer who murdered Botham Jean in Texas. And you've got people, one, who are praising this hug because they're going, oh my gosh, this looks like Jesus. And then at the same time, groups of people going, that's cheap grace, and there's a whole lot more going on there. And typically, those two perspectives come down on either side of the aisle, right? And typically, very different skin colors and backgrounds. But I watched on Wednesday night as a group of people sat right back here coming from different perspectives, having conversations honestly about that, honestly saying, well, here's what I don't understand. 
well, how does this, how do you hear this? Why is that conflicting for you? Well, yeah, well, I voted for this person and I don't know what to do. Well, I voted for this person and I don't, and I watched this picture of grace happen right before my eyes where simultaneously there was another meeting in this building of a community organization with fighting, with people, with people storming out. There's a reality of the gospel of Jesus that allows us to sit in these tense moments, that allows us to actually consider others better than ourselves, even in the midst of hard situations. It is a beautiful, amazing, amazing thing. And it is so countercultural. Oh my goodness. So countercultural. And so for us as a church, as we walk through the very, very difficult circumstances in our lives, I know, I know what's happening in so many of your lives. Very difficult. When we start to understand the grace that has been given us, the way that God meets us right where we are. We're able to live lives that are not so consumed with our concerns, but instead be able to be outward focused. 